because testosterone will increase dopamine in a almost a, a one-to-one correlative relationship. Okay. Now, when we think about it, and the first part of it involves motivation and drive, right? So people that are using testosterone, in particularly in super physiologic doses, are going to feel more like, more driven, yeah. um, more motivated, Getting up out of bed in the morning is is easier. Movement feels good. You can't wait to get to the gym. You can't, you know, you can't wait for the next uh, the next workout, even the next set. You want to just jump in and do it. Well, that's testosterone impacting dopamine and huh. activating that reward circuit, that motivation circuit. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Think Big Bodybuilding Media. I'm Scott McNally. Today, we are going to talk all about dopamine and a lot more. I got to warn you, I am certain we are going deep today, and I am with Dr. Mike Miltag. Mike, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Scott. Great to be here. Great to join you. I'm glad that we can finally do this, guys. Uh, uh, Dr. Miltek is here in Michigan. Uh, I've gotten to come out to see the facilities a number of times. Uh, Victoria works with you. Uh, and it, it's been cool to to learn more about what you do. I had the opportunity to hear you talk at Swiss. You talked about overtraining. I think we're going to get into a little bit of that today and, and a little bit about how that ties into dopamine. Uh, I'm excited to get into this because this has been a really hot topic on the podcast that we've been doing lately. Uh, but before we get into it, I just wanted to give an opportunity to you to introduce yourself to the listeners. So, I mean... I know, number one, not only are you a doctor, but you are a former uh, competitive Olympic level weightlifter, right? Yeah, that's correct. I won the uh, Canadian National Olympic Weightlifting Championships in ni- way back, 1982, Pan Am Games, uh, Pan Am Championship uh, silver medalist in 83, and then uh, I moved to the Olympic team in um, 1984. Hell yeah. And guys, I got to tell you, there's so much that we could get into with that alone. Uh, we had breakfast while we were down in Ohio together, and I got to hear some really cool stories about like all the food that went into that, the training styles, meeting Russians, <laughs> all sorts of cool stuff. Like seriously, that could be a podcast on its own. That was a fun time. <laughs> that was a totally fun time. No regrets doing that at all. It's cool. So let, tell us a little bit about your medical practice. I mean, I, I know you do a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, it, to say that you're a TRT doctor, I think that in itself would be a very limiting scope. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting because one of the things that's really turned me off about medicine, Scott, is how everybody looks at through their own drinking straw, right? I mean, if you go to one specialist, they only see one thing. If you go through another specialist, they're only looking at another thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of doctors out there that take care of athletes' bodies, in quotes. Um, some not so good experiences, some a little bit better than others. And there's also doctors that, you know, are working now more with the mental game. You see mo- many, many professional athletes, Olympic-level athletes, with their own sports psychologists and so forth. Uh, I think I'm kind of a unicorn in the field where I do both. I, I integrate. I'm an integrator. So I, I look at brain and body and how brain and body are connected. And I'm the only one that I am aware of that is a, able to kind of go broad and look to see how athletes' bodies and brain, 
bodies and brains are interconnected and talk to each other uh, in the moment and over time. That's interesting. So, in terms of the specialties, I have about four different board certifications to do that. I'm a psychiatrist, a, a neuropsychiatrist. I've also studied in depth uh, psych psychology and psychological methods through uh, psychoanalytic practice. And then I'm uh, board certified in functional and metabolic medicine as well. So it's able, it's kind of cool where, where it allows me the, the breadth and depth to go with athletes. And then having been an athlete and having been in in the shoes of the people I'm working with, it, that is uh, experientially something that I find incredibly rewarding and incredibly, uh, I mean, I learn from people every day, but I've also, they also know I've been in their shoes and trying to s struggle with the same things that they're struggling with. And sometimes learning from most of my mistakes. Um, but at the same time, I end up finding this incredibly rewarding to be able to help people with things that I didn't have help with and to be able to now offer things to folks that that were just unavailable to us back in the day when, when I was training and competing. So Yeah, now, so, I can only imagine because I feel like even when I was a kid, there was no really talking about anything it was a matter of just doing you just shut up you just did what you needed to do and you pushed through no like no matter what and that was the mark of a strong athlete i feel like this is something that is i feel i do feel like you are a pioneer with this stuff and i'm excited because everything that we're going to talk about today like you know like i said we're, we're going to discuss dopamine that's part of it but uh so much of that ties in to to our motivations and and what we get out of training it ties into uh you know like i've learned from you it ties into getting burnt out and all of us deal with overtraining all of us deal with burnout and i'll tell you what at the end of the day i absolutely love exercise and bodybuilding and fitness like this is my passion one of them and and i want to be able to keep it in my life as long as I can, you know what I mean? I, I've gotten burnt out doing things before. I don't want to lose this. And that's why I feel like this conversation is so important. Well, you're touching on so many important things here, Scott, because back in the day, everyone just sort of, you know, it was almost a sign of, ma of the sort of masculine culture that sports was around that you just had to keep going and, you know, suck it up and go through it. But now we find out that if you do that, you end up not putting in the recovery methods that are necessary. You end up not doing the kind of self-care. You end up neglecting your own, uh, some of your own superpowers through the mindfulness that you're able to bring to your body and to your sport and to people around you. So the more we unpack, the more we can learn scientifically what's underneath some of these things and the more we can throw away the old attitudes yeah. and then help ourselves with our performance and our enjoyment of our training and performance ultimately absolutely all right man well i want to dig into this i i mean i guess i'm going to go real basic here because this is a a, a new topic i think to a lot of us and i don't want to miss any details so just straight out the <coughs> gate you know with uh, like the huberman podcast that's out now uh dopamine is a word that's getting thrown around a lot and and like i said it's been coming up a lot in our shows can we just start out by talking about like what is dopamine 
Yeah, of course. Uh, well, dopamine is a neurotransmitter made in the brain, first of all, but it's also made in other places. It plays a role in, as a sort of reward center and a motivation center in many body functions, but not just in the ones we think about or that are on uh, that, are, that are being put out there on social media. It plays an important role in memory, huh. for example, an important role in movement. Obviously, people are talking about the important role in motivation and drive and determination, but also with that, importance in mood, importance in attentiveness, importance in so many other things across the board. And high or low levels are associated with all the way from along the spectrum, all the way from how we feel and how we're able to do these things to actual diseases like ADHD and hmm. Parkinson's and so forth. And um, the way I think about dopamine is, is in three ways, not, not just as a single monoamine neurotransmitter acting as a chemical messenger between uh, different nerve cells in our brain, which it is, of course, but it's also a hormone. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, when you think about it and look at the chemical structure, dopamine, epinephrine, or adrenaline, and norepinephrine, they're the main catecholamines. Okay. And the, the molecular structure of a catecholamine is, a, is, a, is actually a hormone. And the, the reason that, I, that we were able to say that is they're also made by the adrenal glands, not just in the brain. People forget that a lot of times. Okay. The dopamine can come out of the adrenal gland. Now, what's really interesting is that we're starting to look deeply into the immune system, too, because we know that the immune system, you know, if you're if you're overtired and you're burnt out, you're going to get sick. That I mean, we all know that. Well, dopamine has a powerful role in signaling in our immune system, in, in our in our antibodies and T cells. So it's it's released through many many different areas. The last one is also a neurohormone released by the hypothalamus. So it's got wide-ranging impacts throughout, not just in motivation, although motivation is critical and I don't want to sort of uh overlook that, but I just want to make sure that people are aware that it's just so uh, ubiquitous in other areas too. Absolutely. That that I think that is important. And and I think a lot of the stuff I've seen lately uh, with dopamine relates to how it can, the way I'm going to term it, I guess, is how dopamine can become a trap. That we get onto social media, that we get these dopamine hits, we get addicted to these dopamine hits. It takes us down this plate, into this place that we didn't even realize we were going. So I, I do want to, of course, get into that stuff. But before we do, can you talk a little bit more about the benefits? Like, why is dopamine a good, like, where is it, why is it good? And, and especially, too, I'd be curious to hear about, you said, dopamine is involved in movement. Yeah, very much so. And that's something that, get, that often gets forgotten about. Uh, one of the things that people have talked about, and, and Andrew uh, Huberman does talk about this, is that dopamine makes... in testosterone is connected with dopamine so uh, let me just step back for a second yeah when we talk about dopamine scott we have to talk we have to we can't talk about dopamine without talking about everything else that dopamine swims in the okay. dopamine environment and that includes 
hormones like testosterone. Okay. That includes uh, the mitochondria and the energy systems that we have around the brain where the dopamine neural circuits are coming from, which is really critical, which also includes the, the sort of overall physiology of the body. So if we start with one small, not very important, but also small part, we, ha we have to look at the entire context of the body hmm. and the brain in order to really understand the functioning. So you can see how it gets very complex. But if we just focus on the dopamine, when I'm talking about, I think it may be important to, uh, for the listener to sort of think about where it comes from and just stay with a little bit of the, the jargon for a second because it's produced in the, in, in the brain by a, a very small nucleus, which is simply a gathering of cells called the ventral tegmental nucleus, or just call it the tegmentum, um, in the midbrain. And then there's a circuit that goes into another part of the brain, which is actually in the limbic system involving uh, emotion, called the nucleus accumbens, or we'll just call it the accumbens. But then there's another part that goes all the way up to the frontal cortex, which is often forgotten about. And that part that goes up to the frontal cortex is, the par is a part that can regulate what's going on below. Now, that's one pathway, but there's a second pathway that goes into where movement originates in the brain and where you see the deficiency resulting in Parkinson's disorder or Parkinson's disease. So the basal ganglia and the substantia nigra, names aren't important, but these are the places that where movement gets coordinated. So motivation and movement not only are concepts that we talk about with dopamine, but they're actual neural pathways. Huh, okay. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of, that's deep. I knew we were going to go deep here, but I, I, think <laughs> I'm, I think I'm following you here. Um, you mentioned that it's, it has a relationship to testosterone. How does that relationship change as testosterone levels change, or, or does it? Because I know that the majority of people who are watching this or listening to this right now, are people that use anabolic steroids, people that are taking their testosterone levels a lot higher. Um, will that will that have an influence on our dopamine? Yeah, that's a, such an important question because testosterone will increase dopamine in a almost a one-to-one -one correlative relationship. No kidding. Now, when we think about it, and the first part of it involves motivation and drive. Right, so people that are using testosterone in particularly super physiologic doses are going to feel more like more driven, yeah. um, more motivated. Getting up out of bed in the morning is is easier. Movement feels good. You can't wait to get to the gym. You can't, you know, you can't wait for the next uh, the next workout, even the next set. You want to just jump in and do it. Well, that's testosterone impacting dopamine and huh. activating that reward circuit, that motivation circuit. But if we put too much testosterone in there, then you can have some of the negative impacts of the dopamine. So testosterone doesn't impact, doesn't, contrary again to some of the 
quote science you see out there. Testosterone doesn't have a direct effect on the brain. I think we spoke about this maybe in uh, Columbus as well, but it impacts the brain in other ways. It amplifies the signaling of the dopamine, for example. So people can get impulsive. Huh. People can, uh, with higher doses of testosterone, it's blamed on testosterone, but it's actually acting through dopamine. No kidding. The impulsivity, the aggressiveness can get turned up, but it's it's usually aggressiveness towards a goal huh. and that people re- are really feeling, and that's really underneath the aggressiveness. Yeah. So that part also can override if you go back and remember that where i said that second part of that loop that goes up into the frontal cortex well the frontal cortex is that sort of decider it's the master decider so we're we should be leaning on that when we get that impulse from dopamine or from wherever ask ourselves if i do this then yeah i call them if then questions right so when people say, take a pause, take a breath, ask yourself, if I do this, then what will happen? That's also dopamine acting. Hmm. However, testosterone privileges the first part of that. In other words, you get more of a drive and motivation in that reward system or in the motivation system than you do in the thinking system. No kidding. Yeah, this this yeah. all makes sense. I feel like any time anybody who's been on cycle, I think, would be able to relate to this. So the other thing I'm wondering then is on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, we 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 increase our testosterone, we go to, you know, a cycle, we're feeling great, we're feeling motivated, um, then we come off. So we come off the testosterone, motivation goes back down. Um is there like a desensitization or do we get used to that higher level of dopamine that we had? And, and can you talk about what, what goes on when we're not getting that anymore from the testosterone? That is such a, that is such a great question, Scott, because that's that basis of addiction as well. Yeah. We get what there's a, there's something called habituation where, um, you know, people started looking at this really in the, in the lab and with rats. So if you give them, if you give them um, a pellet of food, for example, after ha- tapping a bar for 10 times, they, they're very excited and they want that pellet of food. Then if you move up to two pellets of food, they're even more excited and they want to tap even faster. Now, if you cut back to the one, then they don't move so much. Huh. They get a little bit of a flattening. So why is that? Because they become habituated to that dopamine. They need that too, and they're looking for three. Huh. So you're constantly wired to move into and want more. It's the there's a book that was that was written. I think you and I discussed it. The molecule of more. Yeah. Dopamine makes you want more of something. Well, when the testosterone is is removed, and when you go off cycle, for example, then you're not enhancing that dopamine and you're not allowing that more to occur Hmm. so there's a flattening not just from the impact of the testosterone but from the impact of the dopamine flattening and then you go to being tired you go to being unmotivated you go to being unhappy and like i said if tracking back this is why it's important to know all the functions of dopamine and why i went into that a little bit at the beginning yeah. because people talk about memory loss yeah 
Huh. They talk about mood swings, sleep problems, their concentration goes off, brain fog happens, their sex drive flattens out. And that's always attributed just to testosterone. It isn't just testosterone. It's always that concert and connection between testosterone and dopamine that's causing that. That makes total sense. So so say the guy goes on cycle, it's for 12, 16, 18, 20 weeks, whatever it is. Sure. He, he, obviously, I imagine the, the longer he's on, the longer it would take to recover after he's come off. We know that about testosterone. I imagine the same as with dopamine too. But can you talk about like recovering dopamine post cycle? How does that Yeah, work? absolutely. Absolutely. So post cycle, obviously, I never recommend and, and the athletes that I treat um, that are, uh, of course, you know, paying attention to WADA and so forth with the professional athletes. But uh, first of all, let me take one step back. I don't sure. think anybody should just come off cycle abruptly. And in any of my, uh, e even my TRT patients, I always do it very gradually and slowly because okay. I'm not only trying to restore the HPG axis, but I'm also trying to restore levels of dopamine in a slower way. Huh. And so let's talk about, you know, take an example of somebody that wants to come off cycle. Not only will I use, you know, HCG or HMG if it's a fertility issue or something like that to help people gradually come off of something, how I will also supplement with other things for their dopamine. Um, tyrosine is really critical, hmm. uh, bringing tyrosine in and high, high tyrosine foods into their diet, for example. Um, so tyrosine, I also use L-theanine a lot. And I use uh, phosphatidylserine. Okay. Yeah. I find that PTS is, a, uh, is very helpful in warding off cortisol because one of the things we have to be careful of is Cortisol, the HPA axis, is disrupted when you come off cycle two. Huh, okay. Yeah. So I look to check to make sure that that cortisol doesn't then begin to overshoot. Usually, and I don't want the cortisol to flatten out either. I want that to stay balanced as well, Scott. Yeah, yeah, okay. This, this all makes sense. So supplementation to help with uh dopamine levels you mentioned l-tyrosine that's one that i've i've used a lot personally uh can you give me an idea on and, and now you you some you mentioned tyrosine and then you also said tyrosine rich foods um mm -hmm. dosing wise of of an l-tyrosine what does that look like out of curiosity just out of curiosity yeah, that sort of depends on the person. It depends on their cycle. It depends on their body weight. It depends on their mood. So I, I, I use it. A lot of times I'll, I'll use this as well as some other dopaminergic medications. Like, for example, I, I don't, I don't, excuse me, I don't love the stimulants so much for ADHD. Um, however, if they are needed, then I will use Ritalin, for example, in short-acting doses so people can use it as needed. Okay. Because let's think about dopamine. It helps with focus on the thing you're doing in the moment. 
So the long-acting, for example, the long-acting dopaminergic agents, like if you take a an Adderall X, XR, long-acting Adderall or long-acting Ritalin or something like that, it's going to be with you all day long. Yeah. So let's say somebody wants to stay home and play video games for, on a Saturday afternoon or something. <laughs> your dopamine and your concentration is going to be locked into that video game. Yeah. That's going to imprint itself into the brain. You're going to be good at the video game, but you're going to want to do the video game. Huh. Okay. So I say, okay, use these, use these things like Ritalin in the short-acting dose only when you require it for the things that you need it for, your work, your reading, your studying, uh, whatever the case may be, maybe your focus in your sport if you need it. Um, but use it judiciously. Use it according to, and, and do, we'll dose it according to your needs, and then we'll dose it according to the time required. And I do the same thing with L-tyrosine because L-tyrosine, as you know, is probably you only get an impact for about three or four hours. Yeah, okay. So I'll start with 500 to a, uh, milligrams to a gram of that, but then I'll, I'll put it in, in my patient's hands or in the athlete's hands to sort of use it as needed but, but then tracking your mood with it, because as you know, you can also get pretty jittery from it, which is why I use the L-theanine as a sort of a modulator for that, too. Okay, gotcha. But, but then I, I work really closely with every, with everybody. I never use, I never do a, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, never, I never do a um, uh, sort of a one-size-fits-all for, any, for anybody. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I've got another question then. So... You were saying, you know, you you basically you, you take Adderall, you play a video game. You're going to be really good at that video game. You're going to imprint that. So the same sounds like it would be true if I take testosterone, my dopamine goes up. I go to the gym, I work out. I'm focused on that. I'm I'm going to the gym every day. I'm training. I'm seeing results in you know in the mirror. I'm seeing results in the weights that I'm lifting and. I'm, I have higher dopamine at that time. So it sounds like the same would be true with going on cycle and going to the gym, that you're going to imprint there as well. If you ask any athlete that has some degree of mindfulness, they will say, and you probably hear this all the time, training's addictive, right? It sure is. <laughs> well, yeah. they're not just kidding. They're talking about, <laughs> they're talking about the testosterone-dopamine combination that does that does activate the exact same pathways neural huh. pathways that addiction does so yes you start to crave training we have to train yeah. i mean i'm still like that i'm still <laughs> like this and i haven't i've i retired for almost 40 years ago now hating to date myself but i'm still like this and and you probably are too if you don't train every day what happens you get irritable you get down you yeah. get lethargic you get pissy your wife gets angry at you. <laughs> how many days a week are you in the gym now mike i'm i have to go i still uh, i mean i do weight workouts three to four times a week and then okay. i do cardio the rest of the time right on and you're a busy guy but you you have to make it happen still you have to make it work i can I guess, relate i know that feeling I, 
I get so irritable if I don't. And but that's still exactly what we're talking about, right? It's exactly yeah. Yeah. along the lines of it's a have to, it's a must, rather than yes, it's enjoyable. We we love training, yeah. we love getting in there, and you know, at my age, it's still fun to bang out a kind of a four hundred pound deadlift for a couple of reps here and there. You're still lifting four hundred. You're still strong. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. But it's uh, I have to be careful of my joints and the, all of that because I've had some compromises over the years. But it's fun to go in there and do that. That's a huge dopamine rush, right? Yeah. But then, on the other hand, if you don't do it, you get the same kind of drop as you do if you were stopping a drug yeah so yes it is back to your point 100 percent along the same addiction pathway yeah that makes total sense and and uh, you know my audience knows i know you know as well i'm in recovery drug you know for drugs and alcohol sure. and uh that was a big part of my early recovery there, you know, the, the going to a twelve-step program it helped me a ton. And without that foundation, I don't think that I would be able to mm. get where I am today. But it was lacking a physical component, and and you know, being able to get in the gym and lift that gave me what I needed. At the same time, you know, we talk about that topic from from time to time on our shows. Um, I've also seen people that that quit drugs and they literally just replace them with with lifting they don't change anything about themselves and lo and behold which you know i have to admit and i've said it before it's the first thing that happened to me initially i didn't change anything about myself i just went to the gym and guess what two years later i got hurt and i couldn't lift anymore and where did that leave me i i left me where i started really um so there were a lot of things that i had to change i know that a lot of our audience can relate to that but the 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 thing that i i hear a lot of people say is well, I could be addicted to something worse. Is is mm. being addicted to lifting weights a bad thing? Well, you, you again, you're bringing up a, a whole lot of really interesting points here because I think the 12 step. Let's start with where you started. The 12 step approach to addiction has saved countless lives. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about that. But then, if we just replace it with something else, we're not getting to the why. Yeah. And that part of part of why I love the work I do is to look for the why behind everything, including addiction. And if we don't get to the why, we're we're only we're never fully in recovery. Right. Yeah. We're just replacing. So um, then we get into. Um, OK, so your point now about. Um, what if training and even competing, and I've seen this with countless professional athletes as well as Olympic athletes, what if that just replaces something else and it becomes an addiction in and of itself? What happens? Well, parts of our personality drop off. Our identity just becomes that of huh. the lifting in the gym. Uh, psychologically we become perfectionistic we have to have everything done right because we develop this perfectionistic minds mindset that's good in a way but it's bad in a way why because we begin to shut down that signaling from our the rest of our body yeah so there's if we look at uh, again i'll geek out a little bit for your <laughs> listeners but there's a part of the brain called the insula 
and the insula receives all the signaling coming from our body. So when we start to feel tired, that fatigue, we don't want to continue to push through. We want to slip into recovery and lean into recovery. If we push through, then we begin to dis dissociate or cut off the signaling from that insula, the signaling from our bodies to slow down. Hmm. That's when injury occurs. Interesting. And this all really, I, now, everything you're saying here, I remember hearing some of these things uh, in Columbus at Swiss. Your talk was about overtraining and burnout. So I think the things you're talking about now these also directly relate to that, don't they? Yeah, 100%, because the athlete that burns out is overtraining can be, as you well know, it can be very good periodically. I mean, we sometimes, you know, just to, on a personal note, I had a, uh, a Soviet coach back in the day that co was coaching. It was hired by the Canadian government because the Canadian government, the, the Olympics were the, the LA Olympics, and the uh, Canadians wanted to do really well. And we had some lifters on the team that ended up meddling, in fact. Uh, but they hired a Soviet coach to come in, and he had a sort of one size fits all Soviet type program. So no matter where you were with your conditioning, no matter where you were age, no matter where you were with weight, you did the same thing. Okay. And these were two to three max lifts per day. We got one day off, <laughs> but the rest of it was just all out. Oh, well, he what he was looking for underneath, underneath this sort of crazy schedule was burning somebody, essentially burning or overtraining somebody, and then hoping for a super physiologic response. He just didn't have the methods, the scientific methods, to measure that super physiologic response. But sometimes, as you well know. When in a competing athlete, you want to slightly overtrain, but be able to bounce back recovery-wise, and then your strength and performance will jump up significantly. Interesting. If you measure it, if you measure the, the all of the variables correctly, if you don't, then you you drop the or you drop your brain and body into a flat line. Your cortisol will flatline, your testosterone will flatline, your dopamine flatlines, and that can take weeks to months to recover from. Yeah, okay. So when I talk about real burnout, it's not just the that sort of small window of overtraining that you compensate from. It's really an entire an entire flattening of brain and body physiology. Hmm. And I think I think all of us that that love lifting have been there at one point or another with the best intentions. You know what I mean? It's, it's like we, it just makes sense that we love doing it. So we keep doing it and we keep pushing. I remember uh, one of the things you said to me, or you said to the group really was uh, how did you put it? You said that over time um, you, 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 and you mentioned it here that you began to disassociate from you, you, you don't feel as much. You don't feel, you, you, you lose that connection to your body, I believe was the way that you had put it. Um, what, can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. Um, as there's something called interoception, and interoception is our body's 
constant signaling back up to the brain of the condition that it's in. Some of this is done and we're aware of it. So in other words, we can be aware when our heart rate goes up, right, in a stressful situation or our breathing in increases or we feel some chest tightness and so forth. We can also be aware if we're feeling inflamed and so forth. Yeah. A lot of it, though, is in our autonomic nervous system, and, it, and it's unconscious to us. <coughs> Pardon me. So, the unconscious signaling is just as important, if not more important, than the conscious signaling. And that unconscious signaling, we can make more conscious if we practice mindfulness around our sport. In other words, mindfulness is just a fancy word for being self-aware and opening up ourselves, our mind, to what the processes are that are going on internally, not just in our brain, but in our bodies as well. Okay. So if we are only focused on outcome mm. and driven to outcome, like in this sort of addictive way or compulsive way that we're talking about, in order to, we value that outcome so much because we're wired in, it gets imprinted, outcome gets imprinted, outcome means everything. And then the more that happens, the more we shut down the signaling because that signaling, we, our brains then treat as interferences to our goal. So rather than being sort of connected to our body, we separate ourselves out from our body because we unconsciously treat these signals as something that's going to get in the way of the goal that we seek. Yeah. So we begin to shut down our awareness of what's going on in our bodies, We begin, but we also shut down other parts that, you know, our brains can't be selective in that shutdown process, which is the fancy word is the dissociation, right? So we shut down, our parts of our personality get shut down, parts of our identity get shut down. Different parts of our brain's functioning also get shut down because all we want is the drive to the next. I mean, you know, he's taken a lot of heat, but Tom Brady is a living example of, of this, living, breathing example. He doesn't have to be playing this year. For any any reason except this addiction to a game. Interesting. Yeah. And, and look at what he's lost. Hmm. And and look at where he's how he's going to go out now compared to where mm. he could have a year ago. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it, you had used the the, the term uh, constricting your personality, and yeah. it, it's not something that I can say I've. I here's the thing I've recognized that in myself but I don't I, I didn't see it at the time where you get to a point where you feel like ah just you know I just love training I'm at work and I'm thinking about ah this you know sucks so I'll get done with it and then I get to drive over to the gym and then I get to do the my thing that's where I feel happy that's and it, I guess and it makes sense because that's where we get hurt too you know, it's the that overtraining phase. And, and that's something I hadn't really put together until hearing you talk about it. That makes sense. That's where we would get hurt because we're not listening to our body's limitations anymore. We're doing things we probably shouldn't be doing in the gym. We're probably already kind of getting beat up, but we aren't recognizing that. And then the next thing you know, 
we get hurt. There's always a sign, though. That's the thing I've noticed is there's always a sign. Uh, how can we be more aware of this? How can we how can we keep this from happening? Because if it's such a weird thing that we can love this thing so much, but without balance, it you know it we destroy ourselves with it. We absolutely destroy ourselves with it, Scott, and that's true of every addiction that there is. Huh. But when we're looking at something that can be so positive, like this kind of training, then then it becomes a really important question to keep in our mind, like not just every workout, but every set. So I look at this sort of globally. How do I feel going into the gym? Well, a lot of us don't feel very good going into the gym. You know, we need... We need so another thing I tell my patients, so even my depressed patients, is that you can't sit around and wait to be motivated. Hmm. You have to movement creates mood, not the other way around. Mood doesn't create movement. So I use a lot of, for example, I find a lot of my depressed patients that come in, if they want to treat a mental health issue like depression, for example, a lot of them have flattened cortisol to begin with. A lot of them have flattened testosterone. So I will use testosterone in part to even them out in treating depression. And why? Because that's going to act with their dopamine and that's going to cause them to have movement feel good. So, you know, you walk in and you need to move first. So that's your first signal. You're warming up, right? So you're warming up and see how your body feels. This is where you have to be open to your body. You have to see how your body is feeling in the warm up. Am I feeling sluggish? Am I feeling, I use the word crisp, you know, am I feeling crisp? Are my movements crisp? Is my warm up crisp? Am I feeling a little bit of a pop? Yeah. So are my movements crisp? Am I feeling a little pop? If, if you are, those are signs. And then you can also, of course, measure your heart rate, you can measure um, all of the other sort of metrics that you may have when, you, when, when you're waking up and all the things that your, our smartwatches can do now and so forth. Um, but am I feeling, are, are those sorts of things in correlation with how I'm feeling? If I'm feeling that way, great. That's your second signal that you may be able to really lean into a, a workout. Okay, so then you start your, let's say it's leg day. So you start your leg day. How how am I feeling? You you warm up slowly, but at, a critical part of your warm up is to stay aware of your body hmm. and aware of how your body's feeling because your body's talking to you as you're warming up. It's telling you the state and the condition that it's in. If you start to feel that sort of fatigue and inflammation, let's say you, I'm just picking an exercise. You're doing leg presses. If you start to feel this fatigue, inflammation, lack of pop, lack of crispness in the leg press, you're tired. Pay attention to that and Mm. don't start pushing past that. Okay. And if you push past that, that's when you begin to risk injury because you're – see, these are ways to tap into the knowledge of the dopamine system and 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 what's going on physiologically, brain and body. Um, and then let's say you're doing, let's say you've checked the boxes and it feels pretty good. And then you push into a heavier set or you want to push into a 90% plus sort of, uh, finishing set, right? 
be aware of how you're feeling during this. Is this still feeling good? Because most people with, you know, quad tears, pec tears, bicep tears, when you sit them down and get them, and, and these are questions I ask them, you know, what were you feeling? Was there, back to your point here, which is a smart one, was there a warning? Did you feel some kind of twinge in the muscle before you kept going? Did you feel some kind of extra fatigue in the muscle before you kept going? Hmm. And did you push yourself past that point? Yeah. Usually the answer is yes. Usually, There's always something. Yes. Yeah. yeah so stay mindful during the during the training and stay mindful during the set progression. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, just just overall with burnout, um, one thing that I've noticed and that motivates me, um, and I'd be curious to hear your comments on it, is you know the the longer that I've lifted weights, the more complicated I make it, the higher my expectations have become. I remember being in my parents' basement. I remember finding my dad's old Sears weights and getting them out and and figuring that out for the first time in my life. And I remember having so much fun as a kid lifting weights. And when I got back into it uh, as as an adult, um, I remember thinking to myself, thinking back to how much fun I had had as a kid. And I thought, huh, you know, I took that pretty seriously. And by the time I was 14, 15, I, I was developing four-way splits and teaching the kids in the neighborhood. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I had a really good time with that uh, in my late 20s. And I thought, well, what would happen if I would have taken that path instead of, of getting into photography? And, and you know, that's, that's what motivated me in a way to explore that. I thought, you know, I wonder what would happen if I were to still take that path. I wonder if I have enough time. And since then... It's gotten more complicated since then. It's you know bodybuilding and fitness. It's my entire life. I'm, you know I get to talk to people like you, which is completely awesome. I love what I do. Uh, you know I get to work with athletes uh, at the amateur and pro level, and I get to help people that just want to get into better shape. And I'm grateful that I have all of that. But sometimes it becomes more complicated in a bad way, and my expectations are so high. You know, you're competing and you've got five weeks and you're trying to figure out how to get this thing to happen with your physique. And there's the pressure of everybody knows you're competing and it becomes a lot less fun. So the thing that I do is I remind myself about when I was a kid. I remind myself about how much fun I had and I remind myself of that original passion. I would just be curious to hear you talk a little bit about you know what am i doing there why does that work because it works every time i do that and and what are some of the things we can do to maybe reframe our perspectives um when we are when we are feeling kind of burnt out and down or overwhelmed so so your your question is again excellent because it involves so many different realms and let's start with that feeling of once our sport becomes work yeah you know as we drive up as we go up the pyramid as we get closer to the top there are way more pressures there are way more external pressures or way more internal pressures to do things and it 
we are shifting into that dopaminergic state at that point. We're shifting into performance. We're shifting into um, making ourselves better every day. We're shifting into uh, how, how many weeks do I have before the show. We're shifting into that kind of thinking um, as a response to all of the pressures and drives to perform. Yeah. But when we shift into that, we're shifting away from joy and pleasure. Hmm. And that's an entirely different neural circuit, an entirely different neurochemicals, entirely different neurotransmitters than that drivenness going forward. I call that when you shift into that joy and thinking about what what it was like when you were a kid. And we all start with play as a kid, right? I mean, yeah. kids don't think about working for the Olympia. <laughs> yeah. They think about the joy in dad's fierce weights. Um, so when we when we think about joy and take ourselves back there, we're actually activating serotonin. Huh. We're activating endogenous opiates. We're activating endocannabinoids. We're activating all of those neurotransmitters that make us feel good. So that's where happiness lies. It's, you know, it used to be thought of the dopamine as a pleasure chemical. It's not. It's a driven chemical. The pleasure chemicals are in the here and now. So you take yourself back to a time in your mind when you were in love with the here and now, when everything was a joy to you about going down into the basement and finding these weights. You're calling on an entirely different neural circuit, and you're deloading from that dopamine pathway and letting yourself go back to loving what's in front of you again. Yeah. And I think that's a critical exercise that every everybody that's involved in in anything that's that's very performance driven should do. Should try to get back into that space of man, this is fun. You know, people talk about gratitude practices. Yes. Gratitude practices are really simple. It's really only about think about the things that make you happy. Well, what's behind that is you're calling into play all of those neurotransmitters, the, the ones I just listed, to sort of be happy in. And that takes you out of that drivenness. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes total sense, man. And it, it, so it's a completely different set of chemicals that you're using. And, and, and we had talked on the phone uh, the other week. You, I think you mentioned something similar to that. How did you describe that? You said if you if the way these two different sets of chemicals work, you said if if I'm thinking about the future, I'm using one set of chemicals versus if I'm in the present, it's it, it's another. Um, can you almost give a, an example of of how you can help us see that even more clearly? Yes, so I think going back to a memory like you've like you've accessed is uh, is a is a nice example. But even if somebody's just let's say we're starting from scratch, right? Yeah. And I've got a new patient that's actually that's an athlete that hasn't developed mindfulness yet. So it's a really simple exercise. Let's go stand outside for a minute and stand outside and look up. Okay, what do you see when you look up? I see clouds you know some people will have different associations i see clouds i see the sky i see okay so what's beyond that i see space and then they can go into some people are spiritual i see you know uh, maybe god is up there that's heaven yeah so these are all things that that we and i say okay so how do you get there well 
how do you connect with that? Well, I have to get there. So it involves travel and effort. You're now in the dopaminergic pathway. When it involves time and effort and getting to the next place, that's dopamine at work. Huh, so then I say, okay. Planning. You're planning. You're, you're moving. Is in, in, and that's one system. Okay. I'm just making sure I'm following along with you here. <laughs> so let's look at that. Um, you've got a picture in your mind, yep. right? It's in the distance. You need and require motivation. Yep. So you're calling in the motivation circuits and the drive to get there. It's the dopamine is the motivation. Okay. That, okay. that first part of that dopamine um, pathway. Yeah. The motivation, the drive, um, the fact that this is away in space and time away from you. Hmm. So, I mean, you can even... Now you can start to see how when we think about the contest, right, that we were talking about earlier, yeah. that's like looking up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's looking forward. It's looking to drive ourselves to the next spot. Okay. So then I contrast that with, okay, what do you really like? You know, what was your last really great meal you had? And picture yourself. So, and picture yourself eating it. So... I, I asked them to look down at the meal huh. and picture the meal yeah. and then describe the tastes that they had in that meal. Well, that's where the pleasure comes in. And I say, so what's the difference in the feeling? Well, the difference in the feeling is enjoying something in the here and now. Those here and now chemicals, Scott, are the serotonin, the endocannabinoids, the endorphins, all of the feel good oxytocin all of the feel good chemicals that are only available in the moment you can't get to those if you're thinking about the future you take yourself out of the moment and by switching neural circuits yeah that makes so that makes so much sense it's funny because as you said that uh, we had victoria and i had our date day yesterday we went out to eat i started thinking about that meal and instantly I f could feel that sense of contentment, that sense mm -hmm. of pleasure, and, and it, it is a completely different feel. And I felt that feeling in the gym, as well as the other feeling, all on the same day. You know, I've been able to stop myself and say, hey, hold on a second. What's going on here and what do I want to go on here? You, you can shift this kind of thing instantly if you want to, right? I mean, that's a, at least what I've experienced. 100%. If you can, that's exercise that you just talked about and taking that into the gym you can take that into every single set with you yeah, every part of your life really too every you know? part of your life yeah and, and and it's not that you're giving up on future goals hmm. i mean you already know what those future goals are your brain's already wired for that you've already imprinted that that i want to be you know fill in the blank this is my ideal these are my goals you're not forgetting the goals but you're loving the moment that you're in. And that's going to actually help you recover huh. and help you enjoy what you're in, help immerse you in what you're in. And then that will help you get to your goal better. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, I, I could see that. I can tell you that in, in the past few years that my, my um, 
outlook on training has changed. And one of the guys I podcast with, a uh, very advanced bodybuilder, uh, his name is Dusty Hanshaw, incredibly strong guy. All right. And, and he is, uh, he, he, he told me and he had a, an experience where he almost died this past year. Uh, oh. Bad piece of steak got caught in his throat. Uh, he was oh. literally in a coma for three weeks on a vent. We were shocked that he was able to come back from this, but he's back and he's still lifting. And I asked him, I was like, what do you think about in the gym? And he said, I just think about the love that I get to do this, you know? Mm. And when you can access that, man, every workout is like the best workout at that point, you know? It's that's life enhancing. Yeah. And then yeah. You, you then begin to reclaim those parts of you that you might have shut off earlier that we were talking about. Hmm. You're now opening yourself up to way more. Yeah. That's so cool, Mike. I appreciate you sharing this stuff with us, man. I, I hope that, uh, I hope that this touches some people because I, I feel like this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. It's awesome to be able to, to put, these ideas together and to have these names to know that there's these chemical systems that are creating this that are making this happen and to know that that i have a say in how that works as well empowering yeah. you and empowering the athlete in front of me to take these and to really change their life is just such an incredible passion of mine. I just love doing it. I love my work. I love being able to to help people with this stuff. So it's, uh, gosh, it's just so much fun to talk to you about this. That's cool. I can tell your passion about it too. And, and I'd have to imagine if you hadn't had your background as an athlete, you you wouldn't be able to do what you do today. It, it it takes having been there, I really think, to be able to reach people on the level that you're reaching them. You know, I I, I agree with that. And I, I don't say that out of any sort of ego. Of but course. It comes out of a place of a, like a, a deep understanding because – you know, I overtrained. I mean, I was overtrained by this coach, and I got injured four weeks before the games. I missed the games because of it. I lived through depression after that because I had constricted myself. Um, you know, one of the th stories I tell is that the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, was there when I graduated from med school. Well, that was the same week I won. The national championships and they said well, what's it like to walk across the, and get them get your md get your diploma and i said i blurted this out and i thought oh shit afterwards <laughs> but i blurted out i said well med school was kind of a hobby i lived for the gym <laughs> <laughs> what was the and, response to that uh he would the, actually it was a f woman and she was a little bit shocked because i i don't know how that sounded i thought this sounds really bad afterwards yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, and i didn't mean to disparage any of my classmates or anything like that but it was more to focus on on the love of the gym and and being able to be in that world so being in that world is is now informed my my clinical approach to helping people and yeah you're absolutely right that's where all the foundation came from
That's cool, man. If people wanted to work with you, um, how does that work? Do I mean, a, a lot of people who will be seeing this aren't here locally in Michigan. I'm lucky enough that I can I can drive out to visit, but some people aren't. Is there anything that you do that it that you work remote in any way or do people have to come to the clinic? How does that how does that happen? No, I literally work remotely, and, and now I've been fortunate enough to be able to take on not just national people, but internationally as well. I have somebody in Australia right now I'm working with, and other countries as well. So um, we do it. We we can do everything virtually at this point and you know fortunately in the u.s i have um, the ability to prescribe medications and labs and so forth that are covered by people's insurance in other states so it really works out that we can do uh, we can do our work virtually and then at the same time uh, help our patients get to the medications they need or get to any of the lab testing that we need to do as well Okay, cool. And I know you do some extensive lab testing like that in itself could probably be an entire podcast because, you know, we, we as bodybuilders, we look at the basic stuff. We know what like ALT and AST are. You know, we we look at our health markers, but getting into measuring neurotransmitters and stuff, I can only imagine the depth of looking at those things. Yeah, it, it is a lot of fun to do that. And once people begin to see, you know, all of these things we talk about are measurable now, Scott. Yeah. I mean, and we can get real, real metrics on them. And once people see that laid out for them in these tests, uh, then they go, oh, yeah, that's exactly how I'm feeling. But it gives huh. them a sense that it's not, quote, all in their head. Yeah. And it also gives them a sense that it's not their fault. It's something going on in their physiology. It's something going on, whether it's in their neurophysiology or their physiology in their bodies, that can be corrected that's right there in data. And that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is pretty cool. If people wanted to reach out, if somebody wanted to work with you, I'm going to have your website below. Um, is there is there any other places that they should look for you? Any places that they could contact you, or anything that you would like to promote? Yeah, honestly, th um, I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, as you know, and part of that is. Uh, is to make sure that I never ever infringe on anyone's privacy or confidentiality. Sure. So the best, but the best way to reach me directly is through the website, themilitickcenter.com, and then all of the information um, that they might need will be there. Um, at this point, I'm not even posting, you know, courses or anything of of that nature. But I will work with somebody. Uh, that wants to learn um, individually, but I'll also work with with people that want to be patients. So, more than happy to uh, just go through the website and go through the contacts there, and more than happy to connect with anybody that's interested. All right. Well, this is cool, man. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time here. And like I said, uh, it, it's I, it's eye opening to me. I think that a lot of the audience uh, is going to get something out of it too. Is there anything else that we should mention or cover before we we wrap this thing up? Yeah, the one thing that I would want that I want to sort of recommend to your listeners is please don't pay attention to the people promoting things for promoting hacks. Okay. Because these hacks do not work. You need a whole comprehensive look. 
if you're if people are promoting hacks if they're promoting certain supplements as the only answer to dopamine if they're promoting you know any kind of anything you know we talked about a couple of these people before we jumped on that are doing stuff um run, run for your wallet <laughs> please and don't don't believe that there's any one pill one substance one thing you can do hmm. that's going to change everything yeah. in spite there's so much crap that's being propagated on social media right now about that's that are really only there to 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 help profit i mean they're profiteers that are only there to help profit somebody else by offering hacks that's not where the answer is hmm. i think that's good advice for sure and it, it it makes sense to me um i you know in, in seeing some of the work that you've done uh it's it's a combination and that's where i think having your experience from the the psychological side is probably a benefit too we're multi-system complex organisms and we have so much complexity and uniqueness and individuality to all of us yeah. that it really it rubs me the wrong way when i see people trying to, to deliver individual hacks with huge promises yeah yeah that makes sense we see it all the time in bodybuilding um, yeah, there is no one size fits all. We we try to tell people that, and our general answer for most of our questions is that it depends. It's hard to it's hard to give it a specific, you know, unless you're talking about a specific person. People do all the hard work in the gym. If they do all the hard work in committing to all of these parts of their health in conjunction with a teammate, then then they are going to be happier make bigger gains be better in the long term yeah for that but yeah. there's no shortcuts <laughs> that makes sense all right guys we appreciate you tuning in uh if you want to work with mike reach out to him like i said i've got a i've got his uh link down in the description below and um man this is great i'd love to have you back in the future scott it's really been a pleasure all right, guys, for another episode here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media, like I said, we appreciate you having here. If you're new to our content, let me encourage you to like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Scott.